Welcome to This Is Me. My name is Siobhan. We all know someone with a battle. This weekly podcast is where I talk with everyday Australians as they share their life-changing moments. Some of these stories are sad, but all of them are inspiring. Today, we hear Annette's story. Hi, my name's Annette. I'm a school teacher. I teach drama. And on Friday, October 6, 2006, my boyfriend of three years was tragically hit by a car. There's some stains on your photo. They all cracks on your rusty frame. Tony and I actually met on his very first day at the school that we were teaching at. I'd been there a year already and I was asked to go and give a speech about what it was like to teach at the school or my first year of teaching there and um, I remember on that day thinking, oh he looks a bit arrogant, he looks a bit cool. I'm immediately attracted to him and um, that was in January and by February we were dating. And so how long were you dating for? You moved in together didn't you? We did, yes. We sort of had a six month whirlwind dating period and because we worked at the same place as well everything you know we weren't teaching the same things he taught PE I taught drama and dance but you know things escalated pretty quickly and so by um, September that year we lived together and we were together for another two years after that. Did you talk about a future together? He always had a joke that because his older brother, who he idolised, had been with his girlfriend for 10 years before he proposed, that he really had that set as the standard. But I said to him, good luck if I was, you know, still going to be with him for 10 years before that happened. But look, I thought that we would end up being together. Whether that meant marriage or not, we definitely saw each other as um, life partners. Did you talk about having children together? Yeah, um, in fact, both his siblings while we were together were married, so I was at both of their weddings and they fell pregnant and had children and I guess as teachers we're both good with children and so we we certainly weren't in any rush, you know, we were mid to early 20s living in the valley in Brisbane enjoying life, but that was definitely um, on the agenda. Did Tony have a good relationship with your family and you with his family? Absolutely. In fact, when I look back on it, that's probably the best example of both families, not only getting along really well, but, you know, both of us really did get along with the other's parents. You know, his parents were more country-minded and took things a bit more slowly, but they couldn't have been more welcoming of me throughout the entire process. We met at school and there are a number of young, ambitious staff working there and we naturally all became friends. And so we'd had a picnic, we'd had a few drinks, along with another two friends we went back to our place to play some cards and we just thought we'd pop out and wander up Ann Street to check out what was going on and um, we just sort of decided the vibe wasn't really for us but um, Tony being a very athletic person needed his second or third dinner for the night so we wandered up to the McDonald's in the mall and we weren't big fast food eaters either so it's just such a bizarre choice but anyway um, and went and sat and had a cheeseburger etc. We were on our way home. Our other friends had wandered ahead of us a bit um, but another another thing Tony and I had in common was our love for 
fashion and style and there was a shop called Always Habit on um, Ann Street that he particularly liked and there was a shirt in the window that caught his eye. So he just crossed Ann Street to have a look at the shirt um, in the window and then on his way back to me he um, looked up and smiled and unfortunately he didn't cross at a crossing or at a green man and um, he was hit by a car in the third lane over in incoming traffic. Airborne and then um, ended up on his back. Two big streaks of blood coming out of his ear, unable to move. I was really lucky that there was an army medic around who rushed straight in. Um, he also kept me at a distance from Tony. Um, I think the impression was that he might have been dead on impact. It turns out he wasn't, but he definitely... Um, to look at him now is how I imagine bodies look in a movie when somebody's lying there dead in the street. It's, it's, it's what, what I saw of him was as though life had gone and to be honest I'm still so jumpy and um, you know I think that goes back to hearing that really loud impact of him with the car. Did you have eye contact as he was crossing the road? Yes. He looked at me, I looked up and we were laughing. He was in a jovial mood but then I, you know the memory kind of goes in and out of different things. The next thing is the noise grabbed me. It's not like I even saw the car coming either. Just for that little moment, we weren't really being sensible and um, oblivious. And I thought I did see him sort of scan for traffic, but then it was that sound, how far he traveled, how far his body traveled. I think his shoe, one of his shoes was found like 200 meters down the road and just the general response of all the bystanders. You know, it was a Friday night in the valley, you know, in spring. It doesn't take much to get people in Brisbane out of their houses. Um, it was busy. There are a lot of people around. Did you scream? Did he scream? Like, what's, what's the reaction? The noise that I most recall was that that impact. He was six foot two and it was a, you know, small average car. So the sound of a body hitting that and then when he hit the pavement... He did not break one bone in his body. He was barely bruised. He, it's like he literally landed on his head because his head took all of the injury. He was on his back, his arms were out, head rolled to the side, and it's like in slow motion I saw these two thick trickles of blood just coming out of his ears and down his neck. No movement. I don't know if his eyes were open or not. His head was angled away. But something about that blood from the ears, I must have had that stored in my head somewhere as that happens when someone's died. I don't recall screams. I'm sure people watching did. I heard that noise and then it's like an electrical buzz, you know, I think because I was in shock. I just was trying to process whether he was already dead on the street, what could be done. And then before I knew it, I was being interviewed by police. Ambulance were there. And it just sort of escalated and moved so quickly from there. 
You were with friends. You had another couple with you. Did they see it happen as well? No, they were further, probably 100 metres down the, the road. So they heard a noise, but I don't think that they would have ever thought, because they didn't even see him cross the road. So they would have just assumed we were walking together behind them. So I guess they heard the noise, they heard the frenzy, and then they looked up and just saw me standing there in shock. A person on the road looked and saw that I was alone. And I think, you know, uh, one of the guys was a PE teacher as well. He sort of bolted up and he was out there with the medic and the medic just said, keep her away. Once they had put him in an ambulance, the police put us in one of their vehicles. I remember calling my parents, it was about 11.30 at night, and I just said, you just need to come. I don't even know if I got out of my mouth what, why they needed to be somewhere, but we were going to the RBH. She said, RBH, accident, Tony, and they were there. And then they took over and they called his sister, who called his parents, who unfortunately lived in Toowoomba. And that would have been a horrible drive for them to, to come that night. And then he was in triage, and somehow I found myself in triage listening as they were doing stuff until somebody was like what is she doing she needs to she needs to get out of here um and then he went in to be operated on that evening being picked up by a police car in your nightclub outfit um you know all of a sudden everything you're wearing just feels disgusting you know I had a strapless top on um anyone who knows me knows that's not a thing I commonly wear I am a queen of the sports bra, um, high heels, this like obnoxious blue belt. Like I just, I, I couldn't, it was like this self that I had was projecting was not me. Even in that moment, I, there was this kind of seismic shift that that was not who I was or who I was ever going to be again. They shaved his head. They um, cut his skull to relieve some of the pressure. Because his brain um, was swelling so much, they actually cut a section sort of out of the very front top of his skull so that his, you know, brain could swell and not, you know, the pressure wouldn't be so great that more damage would be done. But they took the bit from his skull and they put it underneath the belly button for, like, cut him there and popped it in there for sterility so that it could go back one day. I had never heard of that happening before. And the next thing was being seated in a room with his parents, his siblings and their partners and me and um, a social worker. And I just had this feeling that a social worker coming was bad news. They would say to us, even if, he is alive at the end of this surgery. The damage sustained is so significant. He may not be the same person you knew. We don't know what will be left of his brain activity until the surgery's done and he's had some time to heal. That was too large to process, so we clung to really small details like he's still breathing. As long as someone's breathing, you think that's all, that's all we need for them to keep breathing. He was in a coma for um, three to four weeks and they took him to the brain care ward of the hospital for another six months until he started to slowly show progress. And I remember it was somebody had like a hacky sack ball and was playing around with it 
and they threw it in the air and he followed it with his eyes and that was the first time they had had any responsiveness from him. People wanted him to be recovering, but everybody wants that from their own perspective. So they would take, you know, people had photo books and had taken stuff in to try and show him who was who and what was what. And they'd go, they'd have a photo and say, point to Kerry or point to Jessica. You know, at times he could point at that person or at a tree or not at all on the picture. He eventually learnt, you know, how to make sort of encouraging noises and such, but language is not something that came back to him. I guess that was what the neurosurgeons, one of the things they were trying to prepare us for. Once he started to show response to occupational therapy, physiotherapy, those sorts of things, he went into a um, bureau, a brain care unit down in Manly for two years. And they say that two years after brain trauma, whatever progress will happen, it will happen in those first two years. And after that, there's just maintenance, really. He learned to walk again. He, you know, learned to toilet because he was in a nappy and, and in a wheelchair for a while. I would go and, and visit him during that time. And during that time, I just had to try and, I guess, work out what it meant for me to be in his life. And I remember there was an event where, when he was still at the hospital, we took him out in a wheelchair, in a wheelchair taxi, to an event with some friends and colleagues, took him to, um, you know, change his nappy while we were at the place and took him back and then I went home on my own and everyone afterwards was like, oh, wasn't that so great? It was so good to have him there. And I remember thinking, oh, well, I'm still at home alone and I don't think that's an... It's not an adult yet anyway in, in front of me. Pretty confronting and confusing time in that way. During this process, the two years he was at the medical care unit, care unit mm -hmm. at Winner, were you still dating him? Mm, that's... I think no. No, because he wasn't an adult and I remember he was going to the bathroom and he was sort of like, go away, turn away, laughing a bit like a child. And I remember thinking, I feel a bit creepy being in there with him. One day I, I must have done something after school and I got changed in the room where he was. It was either I am a parent, carer, sibling, friend, but I just definitely knew there was not an adult relationship there. But of course I kept loving and caring for him. From then on I really had to mentally move away from um, seeing him as my boyfriend. I just wanted somebody to tell me what to do. Some people said, oh, it's so sad that she still goes and visits him all the time. She needs to let go. Others said, I heard that she went on a date. Oh my gosh, I can't believe she's doing that. It's so quick. But it felt really lonely because I knew it was a decision. While I had a number of supportive people in my life, I, you know, I had to make that and I just had to do something which I'm not brilliant at, which was prioritise myself, and that felt 
a bit. It felt gross because you're sort of going, well, he can't do that. I guess it was a life where I would have been his carer. I had no qualms, you know, getting up and sitting on the bed next to him and help people put his clothes on a bit more uh, fashionably because he was very fashion forward. Some days I would say, if you knew what you had been dressed in today, you would be mortified. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever think it would have been easier if he had passed away? All the time, and I wouldn't have admitted that at the time. When he was in a vegetative state, definitely, knowing this was a highly able-bodied, fit, active human, if he knew what state he was in then, I think the one saving thing is he's not aware of his limitations physically and mentally. It was an accident, just textbook accident. The driver wasn't speeding, drinking, on drugs. The driver looked away, Tony looked away. It happened, yeah. Have you spoken to the driver? She was pulled over um, a bit further away. Evidently, she'd been with a friend to see um, a movie on James Street, which is such a normal, nice Friday thing to do. I think she was about early to mid-30s at the time. She was clearly very traumatised. And I thought, it could be me. It could be any of us. So at about 6.30 one morning before school, I drove to that address and I knocked on the door. She answered and I just said, are you and said her name, she said yes, and I said, were you involved in an accident, blah, 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 and she just crumbled in front of me, and she just said, what happened, how is he? And you, she was so traumatised, and I just said, do you know what, he is being treated really well with the best medical people. We don't know exactly yet, but... And I just said, we forgive you. I felt in my heart, we all understood it was an accident, and she just pulled her eyes out and looked at me and said, are you my guardian angel? And I just said, I don't know, hopefully. Um, Tony was this great combo of so many aspects of who I am. And you know, once you've kind of hit on that, it's wonderful that it helps you realise what you want and need. Do you see Tony now? No, I did continue to go and see him about twice a year. He moved. His parents sold their place, moved to Brisbane, and they've taken up as his main carers. So I would go to their place and um, pick him up. And uh, the last time I caught up with him, we went to the local um, RSL. And then the next scheduled time we were meant to go, there was the massive floods. And so we had to delay that. And then I think I just thought, that's, that's it now. I receive every birthday and Christmas, and I, of course, um, do the same thing, a, a text message. In fact, I just had a birthday last Friday and received a message from him. And while we mightn't see each other, it's actually become something that I really do look forward to and that is quite special to have. I just got one on Friday. Um, hi, Annette, with happy birthday. It's a gift. He's had someone show him what they are, which is great. Um, happy birthday. Hope you had a good day. Cheers, Tony. It's a lovely sort of thing to still have. There's some stains on your photo. They all crack.
Young Care is a not-for-profit organisation creating choice and independence. Young Care is for people aged between 16 and 65 with high care needs. They provide age-appropriate living spaces, grants for equipment and home modifications and support through a national telephone line. Call 1800 844 727 or visit them online at youngcare.com.au.